Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the Roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. Karina Shika Kwame has extensive experience working on infrastructure, health and tech projects from over 10 countries around the world. In 2018, Karina completed her PhD in Civil, Environmental and Geomatic Engineering from the University College of London, focusing on innovations in the governance of water utilities and infrastructure in Colombia. Karina comes from a broad background and is always striving to make use of this unique set of STEM and arts experiences to inspire social change and drive the development of sustainable cities and communities. And labor is one of those things where you really see where the conditions where people live, their access to resources, health and well-being, all of these things are at play. So it's infrastructure, but then there's the human relationships, engagement that you, you do have to have to have that work. Maybe yeah. we can get some more background on yourself. I mean, yeah, of course. You completed your PhD in 2015. I finished it in 2018. So it's 2018. Yeah. Started in 2015. Yeah. My LinkedIn research isn't isn't obviously good enough. Oh, sorry. Gosh, no. It just means that my LinkedIn isn't clear enough. <laughs> I have people ask like, "Where are you from? Where do you work?" <laughs> but categories don't work for people like that. You've worked across so many different sectors. Different countries. I mean, multiple continents. I've seen you've been projects, health projects. Yeah, yeah. List. No, totally. So I'm really wondering how you found yourself at this intersection, all these topics. And yeah, I think most of these things come full circle. Which I say that being, you know, a 12 year old in a suburban town in New Jersey. Um, I always had an interest in international politics, international relations. I mean, my family has a rich immigrant history. Um, so it's not that these cultures and places seemed foreign, but where I grew up, it was quite um, exciting time. I think particularly um, the early 2000s, I went to a really cool boarding school called the Pennington School. And again, it was in a suburban town, um, but a good amount of our boarding students, I was a day student, but a good amount of them were international students. Um, and the school very much had this idea and persona for their students, which was to be well-rounded. So, I mean, whether you're in science or in music or um, the arts, there was always a really rich, um, uh, what would you say, sharing across these different disciplines and so international relations and politics is always quite interesting for me now when i went to university um again continued this very interdisciplinary track um i would like to call it the renaissance track at georgetown <laughs> university um i was in their school of foreign service um which is one of the i think it is the oldest school in the states for foreign service founded after world war one to train foreign service officers but naturally that has evolved to become not just national relations but public health um, international business, um, international law, there's quite a lot of disciplines. And because it was interdisciplinary at its core, 
I never thought that policy practice and research would be separate. Um, and it's not until I went into the work world when I realized actually there, there's quite fine lines. So if you're doing research, obviously academics, but then you have think tanks and um, research institutes. When you're working in policy, you immediately think government. Um, international relations, international forums, and then practice is always sort of the the, the wide ranging one that could be field people, um, community based groups. So I found, I would say, after university, that you know, public health for me really stuck out as a place where all those three really work closely together. Um, and so this is again right after the crisis, two thousand eight. So I was graduated twenty ten. Gives you an, it gives you a better marker than my LinkedIn. <laughs> um, and actually, the job situation was grim. I'm going to be real with you. Um, I mean, in D.C., there were quite a lot of opportunities if you went into volunteering. Um, some of the consulting firms were still actively recruiting. But there wasn't that just sort of open canvas, or at least that to the stuff that I was looking for. It didn't seem that open. So I found a really cool opportunity with Think Swiss Research Scholarship. Um, and they were leading a partnership to pair Swiss academics or Swiss researchers um, or people at Swiss institutes with Americans um, who were looking at similar topics. And mine was based at the University of Bern, looking at um, immigrant identities and public health. And so it was that 2010 one-way ticket to Switzerland. Um, and I found after those few months that you know, I don't have something to go back to in terms of a job in the States. So I'd literally applied everywhere. <laughs> um, and I got a very cool opportunity to work at the WHO um, as an intern. And then I switched over to the International Labor Organization on a, um, a contract. So I would say I kind of... That's how it always goes, right? The intern, you're on the run, that's the same... On the run, always. Unpaid, you're like, come on. I know, I stayed there for a month. And then I switched to the ILO, which the International Labor organization does pay the intern. Um, I mean, it is labor. It is labor. <laughs> and I was in their international, their external relations team. So they do partnerships and development. A lot of it is working with partners to the UN um, and the ILO in particular that are non-state actors. So there is a wing that does like bilateral aid, donor, donor relations. But I did a lot more with um, community organizations, um, private companies who were um, uh, either through their corporate social responsibility work. Um, and they were supporting a range of projects, everything from cocoa production um, and improving economic development in rural areas to occupational safety and health. Um, and labor is a funny, I mean, I didn't really specialize in labor, but I had a, an interest in public health um, and in the international politics sector. But labor is one of those things where you really see where the conditions where people live, their access to resources, health and well-being, all of these things are at play. And it really does vary, you know, in an economic system where there are some highs and there are some lows. Um, from there, I had a lot of still very keen interest in public health, global health in particular, um, and was just itching to work in the field. Uh, whatever the field means, it could be New York City, it could be East Africa. I mean, I use the field very wide, very broadly. Um, but I had a really great opportunity again. Um, I was working in Switzerland, uh, in Berlin, and then again in um, in East Africa and Rwanda. This was very much at the heart of you know more humanitarian response. Um, where I was working closely with the country office, WHO country office in Kigali, but then they're implementing partners on the ground in one of the refugee camps. 
And when these are more medium to long-term refugee camps. So the folks who were at the camps where we worked were mainly Uganda and Congolese. Um, and again, so I say medium to long-term because when you're thinking about infrastructure, um, health services, schooling, you have to consider these things. Um, again, I am going to come to a circle as to how I ended up here. But one of the things that really inspired me there was it wasn't just about health promotion. Um, I think when you're working with, obviously, vulnerable groups in a medium to long-term scenario, you have to be thinking about critical infrastructure and the social infrastructure. So schools, healthcare, labor to an extent, um, though thinking about how people are going to be uh, generated, not just income, but opportunities, because a lot of these areas, it is it is the most vulnerable populations. Um, so there I really got interested in infrastructure. And I would say that in like very simple um, e examples where we'd be talking with the local um, authority and trying to negotiate and understand how we could best use some of their health services, but how we might need to provide extra capacity. Obviously, if you have 10,000 people who are needing care, the local system can't handle everything, but how do we work best together? So it's infrastructure, but then there's the human relationships, engagement that you you do have to have to have that work. Um, so in that phase, I would say I was one foot in public health, one foot in infrastructure, and was looking at opportunities where I could explore that more fully. Um, there was a grant call, a call for, um, uh, what is it called? <laughs> there was a call for applications for a doctoral program, um, but it was looking, it was very practice oriented, and it's called Transforming the Engineering of Cities for Societal and Planetary, or Planetary and Societal Wellbeing. Um, again, hosted in engineering faculty, but very much thinking broadly about how are the places and the, the cities we design, how do they actually deliver um, health and well-being. And that was kind of the starting point for really working on infrastructure. And that also is influenced by the fact that most of my peers were engineers, architects, planners. Um, whereas in my development work, it was always, you know, nurses, doctors, um, public health professionals, de international development people, so to speak. Um, Do you find yourself needing to build up <clears throat> a lot of technical knowledge or is it just a lot of transferable skills? Um, both, definitely. I think the stakeholder relationship part is the human aspect that I think is really transferable. However, the language um, and the narratives that you use are really important, and they do vary quite a lot across disciplines. Um, I don't know if I'd give an example, but we could be talking with you know a group of either engineers, architects, planners, um, all about very similar things, like the word sustainability, for example, uh, but we would mean different things. And so if you're trying to develop, you know, long-term working relationships or partnerships, it's really important to get that right. Um, in terms of technical knowledge for specific sectors, yes, there is a curve. Um, and I think the first year of my doctorate, I just spent going to sort of 101 classes that, you know, undergraduates or master's students would go to to just build up that. The class front row, just particular, super keen, super keen. And especially in water. I mean, I, again, public health, I did a lot of work on water products, um, hygiene promotion, um, but you and health promotion, sorry. But you learn a lot about you know, the water sector, the water cycle as well, which, you know, when I first started my doctorate, I, I knew the basics, but, you know, you're sitting next to people who are experts in fluid mechanics. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, but I think that's an in, a cool thing about engineering. I mean, I think engineering is so many different 
things across so many different sectors. Um, there are principles that are the same, you know, the way engineers think and the way you think through a problem. Um, but there are quite a, there's so many different disciplines even within engineering. So, I mean, my was, I was nested in the civil engineering faculty, but obviously this grant um, program was quite broad and had p disciplines and academics from across University College London. Um, so we had people from psychology, folks from behavioral science. Um, and then it was part of a larger consortia of different universities. So University of Southampton, University of Birmingham, um, University of Lancaster. And then in that realm, you have engineers and people from all over. So that, that was a really interesting opportunity to see how different engineers were thinking about different problems, but then what the need and the interest really from engineering and working with other disciplines. So, um, again, I had a, I, I could talk for ages about the work we did in, in Colombia and Medellin, but I think I'll leave it there. But just to say it all, it still circles back again. I'm always reminded of how I felt, you know, as a 12 year old back in New Jersey with, you know, a sort of looking glass to the world. Um, and in the same way, I kind of am still doing the stuff that I was curious about even back then um so yeah that's the sort of roundabout story <laughs> have, you, have you found a bit of a whole i mean you touched on water at the end there mm. working now with structure projects is there more of a focus on water or wow that's a big question um i wouldn't say a focus on i think there's more understanding of how connected water is to so many things and it is an enabler i think it's um well, it is an enabler, I think, for you know the obvious candidates. Um, water infrastructure is so highly connected to food production, to agriculture, um, for energy, um, particularly for certain types of energy. Um, there also are the sort of lesser, less obvious connections and the Carbon Disclosure Project, the CDP, they had an interesting water report about a year ago looking at... Um, how companies were disclosing their water use or disclosing information about their water use. And there was also another report done by, oh gosh, um, they did a, a report on water risk and the risks that it poses for all sorts of industries. So whether it's textiles, um, obviously the candidates around food and agriculture are obvious. I really like that you, you touched on, uh, you said carbon disclosure project there. Does the carbon disclosure project also include Disclosing water explicitly, or is it more of an additional thing? Is it? Um, there, I mean, obviously, in the title, it's carbon, but they have a very extensive water team that looks at water specifically. So I'm happy to. I think it's on. It's a public report and available. Speaking to um, yeah. to someone in Unleash actually in, in Shenzhen who was mm. working, his solution was trying mm. to figure out how pending drought in the Midwest of America. Mm. In Tanzania, I don't know if you remember. But oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it's this huge, pending, skinner. So many pendant cities on this one on the Colorado River, I think, on the yep. water source, and there's so many different industries that are just sucking it dry upstream. Uh, mm. Water doesn't get to the cities at some point, and suddenly it's just going to fall underneath them. It's just going to fall underneath them, and so his solution was all about trying to carbon reporting. You have sort of like. Second and third scope. Yep. But I don't think it's the same with water. So you, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think at the moment it's more just direct use of water, whereas with carbon you can actually look just your direct, you know, 
burning of carbon. Interesting. I would have to the check. Evolution towards how to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how people can actually to pay for the water that they use. You're absolutely right. I think that's where the water risk is not just what happens when there's a drought or when there is contamination. Um, the discussion is much more about we the fact that I mean as societies we a we differ across borders and cultures of how we perceive water use and its importance. Um, you know, some places it's very much the the lifeblood, and it's a very obvious one to the communities. So there is a different way of of talking about it, of understanding where it's um, connected to our work. But there's a lot of stuff we don't necessarily think about. I mean, there are loads of companies, but also um, public bodies or communities that we use resources and we don't really have a sense of what it costs. So it's not like filling up your tank. It's not the same. Uh, <laughs> or paying your ticket for your transport journey. I mean, we don't have that you know, relationship. And whether the country or whether the place monetizes it, in other words, if whether we do have to pay for it, isn't, I wouldn't say isn't the best distinguishing factor of paying for it or not paying for it. I think it's how close we are to its value or perceived value. Um, and if you had a measure for perceived value, that'd be quite interesting. Um, I mean, then I'm just thinking out loud, but I think that is a, it's a big thing because even within the quote unquote water world, there's big debates about, you know, how we should value it and, yeah. And then maybe there'll be some breakthrough technology which suddenly allows very cheap desalination and boom, we've got 98% of the world's water available. Yeah. We don't really need to worry about it anymore. Yeah. So, anyway, that's quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you, if, um, sorry, I don't know if we, we got to the bottom of uh, of your journey. <laughs> Did we? Present time. Oh, we, we, we took a bit of a detour, so you have, probably have to. So I stopped at the doctoral stuff. Um, I'll come back to the stuff we did in Colombia. I think that's it's an interesting example of how one place has tackled um, challenges related to um, transformation in light of a crisis, which might be relevant for all of us at the moment. Um, but I have to say, I mean, from either through you know high school, university, and over the last ten years, I've just found, I guess, the interdisciplinary thing or the interdisciplinary um, approach has always been a strength. I think the distinction I drew between public health and infrastructure was more in my head at the time, but I do see them as being highly intertwined. Um, and then the last thing I think is where I guess I am now in a sense where I do still work on delivering places and cities. I'm very interested in what cities offer, obviously from a health perspective, but infrastructure wise, it's, um, very rich, but then what draws people to work and want to be in cities? And this is what, to me, is really exciting about that work. Um, that's obviously where the artist walks in the door. Um, and from somebody who does have a very creative um, artistic background as well, I think that's where... Yeah, totally. Or my, my music stand. I think the sort of engineering aspects and, and music, which on paper probably seem very different. I think they have a lot to offer one another, especially when we talk about cities. Um, there is a, a delivery part of what you need to have a city, um, but a city is the people at the end of it. And I think people's ability and desire to develop and to contribute, um, we can learn a lot about that from the arts. And I think the arts can be used to help communicate those narratives 
Um, I've obviously taken a more sort of fluid improvisational journey to describing it to you, but there are some tools that we can take you know, either from music or acting um, and definitely from the visual arts and how we actually tell these narratives. Because I think in just telling the narratives or also in involving constructing. Yeah, telling the narratives, but also bringing people along um, in that journey. And it sounds very, you know, kumbaya, but I think there's an element in, for example, in how we collaborate. And I think collaboration, coordination, these tend to be very project management heavy words. Um, and I think if an artist or a musician were to understand collaboration, there is first, you know, the human understanding part. How do we understand one another? Um, are we truly listening? Um, and by say truly, are we, you know, open to what is offered and also able to respond um, in real time? And I think that's the the responding part is for me as a jazz musician comes a lot from improvisation. Um, you're creating, you're listening, and you're recreating things um, in real time. And so that's just a way the brain works. It's quite different than I would say your classic project management, which is all, these tools are all there for us to use. It's not that I have anything against project management. I think it's very useful, <laughs> um, but I think you need both. Um, and especially in cities, I don't think the sort of you know rolled out planned cities where you didn't think about the people or the what would actually draw them to come. Um, that isn't a city I want to necessarily visit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you think about the places that you want to go back to. I think there's something about that that is... I'm sitting in um, Copenhagen right now. I mean, we all want to go in the city right now. <laughs> I've never wanted to be in the city more. <laughs> or escape. I, I read one of the, the fifth smartest city to live in. Um, a lot of that is, is down to, uh, I think, public participation process. Mm. Just getting everyone involved, any potential stakeholder. Absolutely. Um, and then some cities, I think, I like Edinburgh, for example, or um, Lancaster, which I mean, I'm, I'm based in London, so I'm probably biased. Um, but there are some cities, cities like Edinburgh, um, Lancaster, um, even Brighton and Hastings, to an extent. I mean, super creative cities. And I think the people that well, we need to go. In. I'm from Edinburgh, so we need to. We need oh to shoot! <laughs> well, I guess I've only been there during the Fringe, so I'm biased. <laughs> the Fringe is epic. The Fringe is awesome. And to be honest, the city is like super green, and it's got a huge park in the middle. And That's true. Um, so I guess there was at the, at at the time of its inception, there was a bit of planning, but I think just they had so much land around them. I'm thinking now with new. Again, I'm really just speaking from anecdotal. Like. I, coming home from the airport in Edinburgh, I just see these new cities just being thrown up in, out, in, in the outskirts of Edinburgh and other places around the UK, and I feel like there's not the same of thought that goes into them mm. in terms of the livability of that space. Uh, yeah. Of course, the UK is a big place, so it's going to be different. But just wondering what your thoughts on that were. Oh, absolutely. And I guess this is a time I could definitely reference the work um, that we're doing at the, at the Academy, um, namely around sustainable living places. Um, and this obviously was, we've been working on about a year, so just leading up to COVID. Um, and it was very much around delivering places and not just thinking about building, just rolling out you know, large numbers of homes, bricks and mortar. I think it's really important to be thinking about, are these places healthy? Um, or are they places where healthy communities can thrive? Are they places where, if I say sustainable, but 
on the obvious front, are we taking into account, um, you know, commitments to be net zero, but then also is it sustainable from an affordability perspective for different generations? Are we thinking holistically about um, sustainable spaces, sustainable transport? Um, again, it probably feels like there's so many nodes and so many sectors that are involved that would need to be involved. Um, but if we're going to think about places where you know, young people can thrive that are suitable for aging populations um, and thinking about where people live, work and play. So it's not just about, you know, where the people literally live in their house. Um, but are there opportunities there? I mean, I think for young people, this is always a question, probably even more so than, you know, where I'm going to live. It's like, where am I going to work and then find some place to live? <laughs> um, and then this whole place bit goes back to my point about cities. I think it's, is it a place you want to visit? Is it a place where um, people are proud to be from there? Or is it a place that is viable? I mean, there, there's all these things to take into account. And so what our work was looking at is if you were to apply more of a systems thinking lens, so thinking about how these different components are connected, um, what might you find? And what, might, what other questions might that help you answer? And, and what we did find is that in doing this exercise with stakeholders and bringing stakeholders along that some of the issues I mentioned, issues, some of the challenges and opportunities I mentioned in the beginning around how um, there are transferable skills, um, but there's a lot of technical knowledge that you um, get in, how much you, you come into contact with when you work with different sectors. So there is a learning there, but the language that you use is very important communicating against across different stakeholder groups um, and really helping to tease out what are those different perspectives and have people, you know, have a, not necessarily a shared perspective. They don't have to think the same or agree, but understanding and acknowledging that the others, the other people in the sector or in other sectors will have this view. And so in cultivating more of a consensus understanding of what the system looks like. Um, so we have a report and a map um, that will be published and it'll be public in a few, in a few months. Um, so that's something that I could definitely share. And then some of the findings were very much around, you know, how do we use the sort of sustainability net zero agenda in the UK to really bring, not bring collaboration, but how do we use that as an opportunity to enable more collaboration across um, across government, but also with local authorities um, and different, or, different groups? How do we use that to um, make stronger business cases for place? And I put the emphasis on place in the sense that obviously there's a business case for, you know, building many new homes. Um, but we want to be thinking, you know, if we were to get away from the basic um, cost benefit analysis approach, you know, what other things might we need to measure? Well, other things might we need to take into account? Um, and so the findings are very much around, you know, in taking this lens, you start to walk away with, we have these findings, but actually the stakeholder base that informed it. Is, is not only um, large, but also across different sectors who have different views. Um, so then it just points to the fact that when you actually work on implementation or develop any sort of intervention, if you can you can fall back or at least refer to this this process and stakeholders who've been involved along the way, you've cultivated a relationship. Um, so I really probably come to the end of something like that. <laughs> Well, it's interesting we come at it uh, right at COVID, and I didn't want to bring it back to that, but I think it really shows us a few things. I mean, this isn't based on research or any 
um, sort of pronounced statements by our peers or partners, but there's an element and an interest in, you know, considering what a systems approach could offer, particularly for systems that are interdependent. So, for example, this crisis in healthcare or in health systems, let's put it in that light, obviously has implications for schools or education, schools are closed, um, has implications for transport and mobility, it has implications for housing, uh, we still have the same similar housing challenges before, either with rough sleepers or affordability, um, but then also just availability of housing. Those problems haven't gone away, um, and we don't, we have not yet quantified or qual you know have an, an understanding of what the implications of COVID are for things like that. So, if we want to be thinking about places even wider, I mean. I really hope, you know, we're having those thoughts and those conversations, you know, really influence policy. Um, and I guess it was your initial question is around where I found policy to be the area where you can use influence. I think it's one part of the puzzle. I think in all my work, there's always a policy angle. So whether you're doing the policy engagement or whether the work you're doing can inform it. Um, there is that perspective to keep in mind. And it's always that sort of humbling approach of what, ha what have we found and so what? And what does this mean? And I think that's a really useful lens for entrepreneurs developing solutions, for you know, artists as well. <laughs> There's always that question. And not to quote Miles Davis or anything or his tune, so what? But it's a really useful um, game, not game, but a useful thought exercise. If I was explaining this to a minister um, in a few sentences, what would be the headlines and what would be um, the things you'd really want them to, to focus on and what is the solution that you're proposing. And I think that's um, quite a challenge sometimes when you have the luxury to explore these questions and where they might lead to. Um, but it's also good to have that other side. So, yeah. So you, this is um, way again slightly, but we, we... No worries, I've gone on. At the start about... Uh, uh, yeah. We're both there in Shenzhen in November. Yeah. Um, talent on Sustainable Development Goal 6, Water. But you've also been a talent previously. Um, yeah. Just curious to know what your challenge what or what problem was when you went into Unleash as a Talent and what your solution was. And oh, okay. Yeah, of course. I was going to say, you know, I didn't even mention the fact that I was a swimmer, but. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years. Oh, man, I think about it. I want to take a nap. Um, but yeah, I was, a, I was a talent in Denmark, actually, the first year. So I guess that was 2017. Um, so also the first year. So I think like all talents, you have an element if you don't know what to expect, um, the first instance, but within the first few hours, you kind of get an idea and then you're completely taken on this journey that is probably really intellectually emotionally physically like a quite a race um, so i think for those of you who are, are listening and haven't don't know the unleash experience i encourage you to look it up um but in short i mean without giving it away you are developing a solution to a, a problem that is linked to the, the sustainable development goals i was in the water track um i met an amazing group uh, my team, I was so lucky, um, a team of folks from Colombia, Australia, Denmark. And our challenge was we found that water finance um, and infrastructure finance, and this is 
probably where a lot of my work, but some of our teammates, one of our teammates, she was um, working for a water utility. Um, and she said there was a huge challenge between projects that could that need funding um, and funders and investors who are you know committed to helping solve challenges related to water access. Um, and so the challenge there wasn't that there was a lack of funds um, or a lack of projects, but on the funding side of finance, both funding and financing, so grants as well as um, investments, um, the language of how you know project managers or utilities were presenting their work um, wasn't necessarily giving them the best shot at getting some of the funding and financing. Um, and I say shot in the sense that when you're applying for these grants or these opportunities, there is a way that you pitch, there's a way that you um, communicate the thing that you want to do. Um, and on the other hand, there was, even when they have that um, language of communication down, there is a matching challenge. So how do you get the right match for that type of relationship? And within the invest entrepreneur space, so this is really important as well if you're working with VCs or um, any sort of later stage investor or even early stage investors. Um, so that was our platform would have connected, um, not only connected those um, investors with projects, but also helping on the project side, utility side, you know, develop their project plan, their and proposal. Um, and that was our solution. I think at the time, we, we was like one of two water finance solutions in our cohort. And it just, to me, it really showed, you know, within the water space, at least then, and at least as a group that we had assembled, there was a lot of interest in WASH projects. There was a lot of interest on health promotion. And actually, we felt like it was quite challenging in the first instance, you know, just to get expertise internally, not because there wasn't any, but because the bulk of the solutions were very much in this other area. I think we've come a long way. I've been a facilitator um, the last two years in Singapore and then in Shenzhen. Um, and I think two things have changed, really. There is, and I think it might be the time, um, there is much more focus on governance and finance. These things have always been a challenge around um, over the last decade, but I think for Unleash, um, especially during in the water track, I think there was a lot more discussion about that um, and really understanding how much of a challenge this is. Um, and I think also because a lot of people are realizing that the sort of novel solution sort of filter is probably already out there. There's there's a lot of good things out there, so really we need to think about. Mm. Actually, absolutely. Solutions to to this definitely. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I will just, I guess, I would just add that, um, especially for the year we were at Unleash, um, we had quite gotten. We got through to like right before prototyping, so we went through the ideation, problem framing, and we really focused on getting a strong problem framing. Um, and we found that after that, there were quite a few platforms. Not necessarily doing the same thing, but actually helping. So there were some platforms that focused specifically on public utilities in low-middle-income countries. There were some that were focusing, looks like in the U.S., for example, state-level utilities. Um, so there were actually some things already out there doing this type of thing, but one organization or one group that would join up those dots and do it all in one, which is a huge amount of work. And I think each of us who are on the team. I know. Each of us were on the Question, team. Question: Do you, have you? When was the last time you spoke with your teammates? Oh, 
Actually, we're on a regular WhatsApp group. Yeah, <laughs> All right. No, it's been three years. I'll send it. Right. Actually, I'll send a photo because it, it sums up, you know, and actually some of those folks are like very close friends. Um, so I, even on, just on the human level, I met an amazing group of people to work with. And I think each of us are still quite entrepreneurial in our respective roles and either working on similar projects or at least taking some of those lessons forward. Um, so I wouldn't, I would hardly, I mean, I would not, I would even overestimate how amazing that is. Um, definitely. We call ourselves the board and they'll understand, but uh, we definitely learned a lot from each other and folks, you know, entrepreneurs, public sector, people like me who don't fit in categories. It was really amazing to meet that type of group and work through a, a challenge. Yeah, which in light of COVID, I don't know if it's useful, but the hackathon that Unleash ran. So they, they had a hackathon two weekends ago, right? It was two weekends ago. So it was all week. It was, what, 48 hours? All week, 48 hours, 244 participants. I think it was over 100 facilitators and experts. Which did you pick, facilitator or? I was an expert on this one, but I did some facilitating in terms of like like mentoring and chatting um, with teams throughout their throughout their weekend. I was actually on the sustainable um, cities and communities group this time, um, so actually I wa- I need to check back in on my water people. Um, but it was interesting because a lot of the themes, and I think the fact that Unleash had such a strong network and community that really likes working together. Um, already in place before the hackathon happened. So it meant that you were building not only on like common knowledge base of how the Unleashed process works and how you develop your you know idea through the prototype, um, but you also had just an amazing group of people across six time zones. <laughs> so in Unleashed fashion, zero to 100. You had a, you had a group for yourself. You're an expert. That's... Uh, uh, what do you mean? A group like a team assigned to me? You were you were working in a team, or you? No, 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 I wasn't. So into yeah, yeah. So similar to how we we did the lab in Shenzhen, like you check in, and then in the evening or at the end of the day, they would pitch and present their ideas, and then you could ask questions. And because it was two days, you met the teams, and then you got to do it again the next day. So again, it was, what was your favorite solution that you? Oh wow. Um. I wouldn't say favorite. I thought the autonomous vehicle pilot um, for delivering pharmaceutical goods for vulnerable groups, I thought was in very interesting, especially around these different sectors interconnected, the so health, you know, mobility um, and social care and sort of understanding what those different systems and the challenges they're in. So things like data privacy are huge things to consider, regulations. Um, existing solutions, existing technologies, all of these things were kind of in the background of any idea that they were, or their, uh, the back to, uh, background of the idea they were developing. Um, so I thought in terms of complexity and grappling with, you know, that and then COVID on top of it, I thought was really impressive. Um, and I think the fact that you could develop something, an idea in that short amount of time was also pretty cool. <laughs> So, so what's the is there a process following the hackathon like follow-ups or is it just now these groups are formed and if they want to run with something they can um there's both i know that they they provide they collated the solutions that what came out of it and there was some investors who were already interested in some so they didn't do it in the sense like at the main unleash where they have a big sort of 
competition at the end and they assign winners. It was more, these are the solutions and these are the teams. And then, you know, you pro providing that as an offer. I know they're providing support to teams who want to take it forward. Um, so that's also sort of the interim scheme. And I know they do that. I mean, they've got the main event, they have the, I'm not sure what it's called, but basically if, you, if you've gone one year and you've made a solution and you, yeah. you can apply to come a second year with the same group and mm. try and build on that and yeah. get some money at the end to take it forward. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah. But, Karina, you have been, I think you've actually broken a record for the, <laughs> the amount of talking I've managed to get you. To really? Amazing. Yeah. This is, um, oh, I hope you edit some. I realize I've been chatting about all different oh, types is, of subjects. <laughs> that's really, really good. I really appreciate it. Wow, so Karina has a lot of energy and a lot of experiences from different projects around the world and I can really see how this unique arts background of hers gives her quite an important edge to approaching these engineering challenges, I say with inverted quotations. Um, she really was a great facilitator during the Unleashed process and every morning she was waking our cohort up of 100 odd people with singing and dancing and I can really see how this uh, takes her quite far in engaging a wide group of uh, stakeholders on different challenges so really great to talk to her and i hope that i can get her on the podcast again soon thanks for listening to the stg talks podcast make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show please share and follow stg talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the unleash in united nations community the goal of stg talks is to bring you value so if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions please let us know we look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.